as artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore, AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing. They're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is supported by Trustonomy, an original podcast from OneTrust. Every good relationship you have, personal or business, it involves trust. But we all know that trust doesn't just happen, right? We've all lost trust in a friend or a brand or a product. Trustonomy is a new podcast that looks at true stories from the past to understand how trust works and what makes it stronger and how to rebuild it when it's broken. Now, you know, I'm a sucker for a good podcast that weaves historical stories and relates it to what's happening today. So I thoroughly enjoyed this Trustonomy episode and recommend that you check that out as well. Search for Trustonomy in your podcast player. We'll also include a link in the show notes. Many thanks to the OneTrust team for their support. Hey guys, this is Joelle. So I'm only going to ask this once, but we really need your support. Over the past year, we've been bringing you two incredible episodes a week with these amazing entrepreneurs who are sharing their advice, their expertise, their stories. And we love doing this and really want to do it again for you in 2015, but we need your help. So go to rocketship.fm slash 2015. We've put together some amazing gifts for you guys. We have a beautiful book that's filled with quotes and photos of all of our guests from the past year. We have posters designed by Michael and our really cool t-shirt also designed by Michael. We're only going to be offering this one time, so it's your only shot to get the book, posters, shirt, whatever you guys want. So please pitch in and do your bit for the rocket ship in 2015. After December 31st, we won't be asking anymore. So go to rocketship.fm forward slash 2015 right now and help support this incredible community. All right, that's enough of that. On with today's show. 
Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Joelle Steiniger. I'm Matt Goldman. And I'm Michael Saka. Today we had Elliot Pepper back, who is the author of Uncommon Stock. Guys, what did you think? I really liked his approach to marketing this second book and putting a lot of effort into bringing his audience into the experience with him. It's not just about sales and numbers, although he is trying to sell a book here, but it was just a really interesting approach that he had. Yeah, he's working with a new kind of publisher, and it sounds like they're open to trying a lot of new things in an industry where that normally doesn't happen. So, you know, anything from giving the first book away free on Medium to ending up on Product Hunt without expecting it and just rolling with the punches and trying new things. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm a huge fan of the series, so I always like having them on. I'm glad to have them back. So let's get into it. We'd like to take a moment to thank our awesome sponsors. CodeShip makes continuous delivery simple and easy. Go to CodeShip.com slash RocketShip to get 20% off three months. We'd also like to thank Envision app. Envision is by far the best prototyping and collaboration tool on the market. I can personally say I can't imagine delivering another design comp without it. Go to envisionapp.com forward slash rocket ship and sign up to get their starter plan free for 90 days. Customer.io is a modern email platform built for startups. Go to customer.io slash rocket ship to start sending emails that convert. Give us the update on what's the premise in this in this second chapter of, of Uncommon Stock. So... Uh, the first book was really about a seed stage startup. It, you know, there was Mara and James, who were the two protagonists, uh, were both university students at the at, at CU Boulder, and they drop out to start a company. And so in the first book, their company, Mosaic, is very garage, right? It's just the two of them in a coffee shop you know, building a software algorithm and then trying to turn that into something bigger. And the second book, their company has matured substantially. So now they're more uh, of a growth stage startup. They're still early, but they've got a team, they've got an office, you know, they've got financing. And so they're working on advancing the ball to the next level, landing some major clients and and all of that. And that, that's sort of on their company side now, as you know, <laughs> <laughs> the first book, the same thing is happening sort of on the the thriller side. So, you know, their company makes a financial intelligence algorithm that helps to detect fraud in bank data. And so as, as their company is growing and, and the impact of their code is growing, as too is the conspiracy that they're sort of getting drawn into. Interesting. Interesting. So did they stay in Boulder or are they in San Francisco now? <laughs> they stayed in Boulder, though that does come up. Okay. Yeah. And the characters move around. I mean, uh, in, in book two, Mara, book two actually starts out, Mara's at Burning Man. So she goes to Burning Man, she's in Boulder, she's in San Francisco, she's in New York. So, you know, just like most real startup CEOs, she's actually all over the place. <laughs> So why did you pick a female as your leading character? You know, I, I actually get asked that question a lot. And um, and, and I, I find it funny because often people almost want it to be a bigger deal in the story that Mara is female. Um, and, you know, my impression is I have, you know, having worked in the venture world, although it is very imbalanced, gender imbalanced, you know, I have friends that are absolutely kick-ass female CEOs that are that are just killing it. And they don't let the sort of 
problems and gender imbalance out in the world today stop them at all. And they are just as execution-oriented and creative and brilliant as any CEOs I've ever met of, of any race or gender. And that's how I see Mara. So to me, she's a, she's a person. And like, <laughs> it, it, it's not that important that she's, you know, that she's female or male. She's a person and, and she's an absolutely kick-ass CEO. Well, kind of playing on that, the, the whole Ubergate scandal kind of broke with uh, Sarah Lacey and one of the executives from Uber. What do you think Mara would say about that situation? <laughs> I don't think Mara would be surprised. <laughs> uh, you know, obviously it's, it's, a, it's a fictional story, right? So the fun part in fiction yeah. is that you get to throw a lot at those characters. And I'm actually amazed at for lack of a better word, the, the shit that goes down behind the scenes. And, you know, this is a story that went extremely public. But I was at dinner, I was having dinner last night with a friend who's been involved in a bunch of startups, and we were trading stories of just absolute insanity. I mean, I, I've had a, I had a friend who was, a, a, he's a scientist and a successful biotech entrepreneur. He sold a company and then started advising a few others. One of the companies that he was advising, he, he spent almost two years working with them. And they were full, you know, Series B, like, you know, mid-stage biotech company. And suddenly he got a call from the FBI. And it turned out that the CEO had been embezzling money from the company, like hundreds of thousands of dollars from the company. And part of the way he was doing it was by creating fake email addresses for my friend and other employees and, and consultants to the company, issuing fake invoices and then paying himself through those fake accounts, right? And then fled wow. with the money. So, I mean, obviously, I mean, that's not what's happening with like Ubergate, right? But right, there right. is there's a lot of drama that sort of goes on behind the scenes in the world of startups. And, you know, the fact is, these are high intensity people doing things that require a lot of sacrifice and require a lot of intensity. And so you see that and you see the positives of it. You also see the negatives. And, and of course, like you know, the, the, usually the public image that companies and entrepreneurs try to cultivate is good going on perfect, right? Which usually isn't mm -hmm. actually what's going on. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so how many of these stories for the book are you able to draw from kind of what you've seen from your years in kind of the startup tech Absolutely. world? Absolutely that was the inspiration for the book in the first place. Uh, you know, I, I, I love the work that, that I've done and, and the people in the world of entrepreneurship and it, it is exactly their stories and the things that I've experienced that, that inspired me to write the book in the first place. And, and, and it's, it's all, you know, like my goal with it is to sort of give a window inside the mind of someone going through this stuff. And I think that's the beauty of fiction, right? You can actually, get a sneak peek into someone's subjective experience of it rather than an objective sort of like uh, lessons learned nonfiction piece. Uh, and so I, you know, that was really why I wrote the book in the first place. And one thing that I didn't expect that has happened since the book's release 
is that I've, I've met so many new CEOs and venture investors because of the book. And so I, I'll literally have meetings where people just tell me a war story. And like, that's the only, that's the only point of the meeting, right? They're just like sharing one of their stories. And the beauty of it, the thing that I like the most, and I think the thing that makes it fun is that because I'm writing fiction, it's totally non-threatening. <laughs> right, right, like, right. There's your ideas for book three. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> so it's, like, it's, it's really fun because they're not worried that I'm going to, you know, write, uh, write an expose or, or write something that would, you know, call out people's names. It's just, hey, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm writing an adventure story. And like, it's fantastic to sort of have uh, all those layered truths that you can sort of play with as material. So I know that you have some pretty unconventional plans for the release of this second book. What can you share with us about that? Maybe just to start, I can share our thinking. You know, I, I think, and, and, and FG Press, my publisher, uh, agrees that most books are marketed pretty poorly. And that, to be perfectly honest, there isn't really like a cut and dried method that works for marketing books, especially for fiction. Nonfiction is a little more straightforward, but for fiction, it's really about just inviting people to participate in the story, to get to know the characters. And then, you know, hopefully if they then enjoy the story, they're actually going to be our ambassadors, right? Like they're going to be the, the folks that spur word of mouth. And ultimately, again, especially for fiction, word of mouth is essentially the only thing that matters. And so what we're trying to do uh, for the launch of the second book, sort of from the, the, from the business perspective, from the publishing perspective, is to just do sort of different things that people might think are cool enough to talk about um, and might, you know, sort of uh, invite new audiences or new readers to engage with the story. So one of the things we have already started doing is we started releasing the entire first book serially on Medium. So we broke it up into 10 parts and we're releasing one part per week completely for free. You can just go on Medium and, and read it. And part four actually, well, this the show will be released later, but uh, today, which is like a Friday in November, um, part four will come out. And I think by the time the show is released, almost the whole book will be on there. And so that's very unusual. Most publishers would never allow for that to happen because you're making the intellectual property public, right? So you're that means that any reader, instead of going on Amazon and purchasing the book for money, <laughs> you know, can actually just go on Medium if they want to read the whole thing through there. They could they could binge read it on Medium and enjoy the whole story. And and my hope is that because we're releasing it that way. It, you know, it'll invite new readers to get excited and it's already been fun. We've already had, you know, quite a few people dive into the story through that effort. So that's one sort of fun, fun thing that we're trying. Some of the things that we're trying are actually driven by readers. <laughs> so again, here's something that no big five publisher would ever, ever in a million years allow to happen we've been sending out some advanced review copies of the second book power play to a few folks. And so normally when you release a book, you send out some early copies to people so that on the day of release, they can write their honest review of what they think of the book. Right. So we did that and we had a link to, uh, to Gumroad, which was like 
how we, they could go click to download the files. And of course it's free because you're, you're just asking people to read it in advance. And one of our readers posted the link on product hunt. Yeah. Oh, yesterday. No. This happened yesterday morning. So I woke up and I like, I go on my computer and on Twitter, I see someone has said like, Oh, I just upvoted this cool, like startup thriller on product hunt. Right. And I was like, what, what do you mean? And I, and they had like tagged me. So I click on it and it brings me through and like, they have posted the link, the download link to the advanced copy on product hunt oh, and like had some comments and they're like, Hey, like, you know, contribute to the comments. You're, you know, you're the, you're the maker. I don't know if you've used product hunt before, but you know, like if you're the person yeah. who made the product, like, right. That's sort of uh, that, you know, you can sort of participate in the discussion of all this. So if I was publishing with random house, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of standard response to something like that would be, Oh my God, shut this down immediately. Right. Like, Break the link. <laughs> totally. Like, like, get this, like, and like, you know, send a threatening email to Product Hunt. <laughs> um, and, and so that, that would be the standard response. But for me, the way I think about it, I mean, like, think about that, right? Like, that is a reader that is so enthusiastic about the book that they're already trying to not just share it with their friends, but share it on a discovery platform for new technology, <laughs> i.e. product hunt, right? And, you know, I think that's amazing. Like, that's super cool. And, like, I want to send a big thank you to the person who did that rather than just trying to, you know, like, sh shut them down at first glance. So I talked to FG Press, and, you know, obviously we had to work through how we were going to respond. But we ended up, what we ended up doing was letting it run. And I actually posted about it, you know, on social media, I commented on, on the link and, and hopefully, you know, my goal with that is again, most people, that would be a huge no, no. But for us, if we can get more people excited about the story, I want to encourage that as much as I can. That's really interesting. And it's actually, it, when you think about it, it's kind of goes back to some old school techniques in terms of like, you know, giving out free samples and things like that, that seem almost obvious, but they have this like negative connotation wrapped around it. Um, Absolutely. And so I, I love how you're bringing back like some of just the most basic tactics of building this audience and getting people excited and getting word of mouth generated. You know, I, I think that that's actually a really interesting point. Part of what's happened, or at least how I'm experiencing how internet is changing the role of any kind of creator and their audience, whether you're an, you know, a sculptor or a musician or anybody who's creating content. I actually think it's, it's sort of reverting back to a much earlier time. I mean, you, you can see that in music where most of the revenues are not driven by live performances again. And remember like before, basically the 20th before the, the 20th century every musician was only a live musician that was the only way you could <laughs> be a musician um and so I, I think that there's this level of intimacy that's returning to the creator consumer relationship that that actually the 20th century really distanced and I, and I find it really interesting that that's coming back and when I as a writer that's really powerful because I think that, especially again for, for fiction, 
it's a very intimate relationship that, that the writer and the reader share, right? I mean, when you're reading a, a novel, I mean, you're basically like creating the story in your mind, in your imagination, alongside the writer. And, it, and it's very, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very intimate. So I think that that lends itself very well to the new tools and the new technology that are emerging onto the scene. And actually, Cory Doctorow, who's a best-selling science fiction writer and also a, a nonfiction writer and activist around technology issues, you know, he, had, he had a really interesting metaphor for this, that the 20th century model for content creation and production was sort of like mammals with their babies. So mammals are biologically famous for investing an enormous amount of time and energy into a single baby, right? Like whether it's a puppy or a human child, it takes a long time and a lot of effort on the part of the parents in order to actually raise that child and make sure it becomes successful. And if you compare that to, say, a dandelion, where it's releasing all its little spores, or uh, I don't even know what you call dandelion seeds, right? And it'll release thousands of them, and then hopefully one will land in, you know, in, a, in a crack in a sidewalk somewhere and sprout. And that, that's actually much more the, the 20th, 21st century metaphor for contract creation, that, that if you sort of model the dandelion and think about the, 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 the music, the books, the, the sculpture or art that you're creating for people in that way, that you know, that's a more effective metaphor for how the internet is changing creativity. That's really, really interesting to think about. And actually going back to what you said about kind of building this personal relationship with your readers, mm. what I think is so interesting about Medium is that if you were going to release this book for free, uh, say via like PDF download, you'd still get, you know, all the people that may not have bought it in the first place. But what happens on Medium is this discussion and it mm. allows people to, you know, build this community and well, I guess discussion around your book that you can be a part of as well. And mm -hmm. I just think that's really, really cool. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you know, I, I think that that's, it, it's sort of like, if content isn't king, then maybe conversation is. <laughs> and and uh, you, any writer needs to think about the story of their book, not just the story in their book. Right. And, and how that engages with readers. And because ultimately it, it's really simple, right? Like say Michael reads uncommon stock version 1.0 and likes it. And so if he sort of likes it, you know, because he reads it on a plane ride to DC, you know, he'll probably read it and then forget about it. Right. If he really likes it, he might go on and actually write an Amazon review. And then if he really likes it, really, really likes it, he'll like write that Amazon review. And then when he's, you know, uh, meeting his buddy in D.C. for happy hour in the evening, he'll he'll be like, oh, you know what? I actually read this really interesting book and it was cool because it's this like adventure, like in a startup world or whatever. You know, it, it's it's very different from reading Peter Thiel zero to one or something like that. But it's it, but, you know, it, it was really good. Right. And that's how books sell and spread, right? Like that's how stories get shared. So the more that you can do that sort of gives Michael ammo to mention it, you know, at a cocktail party or a happy hour or whatever, the, the more fun it is. And, and so that's, that also drives, I mean, we, I think in our previous 
episode, we talked a little bit about what we tried to experiment with for the first book's launch that was really fun. And for this one, we're trying to do some other stuff too. Like for example, James, who is the CTO of Mosaic uh, in the book, he always wears these like goofy tech sh- tech chic t-shirts. So they're sort of like, they're always like tongue in cheek, like funny design t-shirts. And um, I've had a number of readers reach out to me and say, where can I buy those t-shirts? Like, <laughs> where, where did you get oh, yeah. them? And, and my response was always, I mean, I just made them up. I was, you know, typing in Word at the time. <laughs> and so uh, this time we're actually going to go on, and we, I, we haven't decided on the platform yet, but there are a bunch of those like Teespring and a couple others. So we're going to, our designer is actually going to, make one or two of those shirts and we're going to make it real so that actually those fans can like go on and like get one of the sort of tongue in cheek, funny, funny t-shirts. And so it's always fun to play with like the real, the real world interaction with the, the fictional characters. And I think that that's also neat, right? Like if you love the book, you're probably going to get a kick out of the fact that we're doing that. Right. And that might give you something to, to yeah. mention, you know, at your next book club meeting. And a new revenue stream for you, potentially. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly it is, right? Like, people do, like, George Lucas made a ton on, like, gear. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, I think that for the scale we're looking at, at least initially, like, we're, we're not doing it for financial reasons. We're doing it really to give fans something to, 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 to play with. But certainly, I mean... You know, hopefully we'll be George Lucas someday, right? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm curious how you're going to measure the effectiveness of releasing Uncommon Stock for free and the impact that it has on sales for the second book. Um, How are you finding those benchmarks to see, like, if sales are higher or lower than what you thought they would be without having done that? Well, you're, you're pointing at a core problem right there. Like, even in the question, you pointed it out. And, and I think that this is a problem for book marketing, but it's also a problem for marketing in general. And, and that is that you never have a counterfactual, right? It's very, you know, the more that I get involved with this, the more skeptical I get of the, the data that I'm, that I'm measuring. So, for example, you know, initially I was like, oh, we can just like look at our sales you, you know, look at our, you know, Amazon sales numbers, the sales numbers through other distributors, track it on a daily basis, and then like run Excel sheets that, that, that sort of show jumps or bumps or drops as we do these like different experiments, or maybe as a new article comes out that features the book or someone posts a book review, we can sort of map that together and then we'll be able to figure out causality. And the problem is teasing causality out of correlation, right? And in this case, I'm going to be really honest, it is extremely difficult to figure out what is moving the needle. So here's an example. We're releasing the book on Medium serially. We, are, we also recently changed the cover of the first book to match the style and design of the cover for the sequel. So it has a new cover. It's also been featured in a bunch of podcasts and sort of mailing list blasts and and stories, uh, like sort of irregularly along the way. 
And then there's been social media activity around it. Then we're going to do like the t-shirt thing. We're doing direct outreach for the second book. And we're going to do, uh, and I think we'll probably mention at the end, but it'll actually, the first book will be free on Amazon December 3rd through 5th to sort of celebrate the launch of the second book. And all of these things are, are happening pretty much at the same time. Right. And it, it, you can't, like, how can I know what the world would be if we didn't do them? So because there's no counterfactual, there's a lot of BS that goes into trying to tease out what the lesson learned is. Now, there are exceptions. Like, for example, with the first book, Will, Will Hurtling, who's a best-selling techno-thriller writer, he writes sort of near-term science fiction. His books are cult hits at Google and many of the other tech companies. And he featured us in his newsletter as like a reading recommendation, which was awesome. And very little else was help happening right at the time when he did that. And we saw an immediate sales bump. So you're like, okay, that's probably because of his newsletter recommendation, right? But that's one of the few variables that I can really point to where I have a high level of confidence about causality. And so it ends up really being, again, that dandelion effort of we pay attention to the numbers, but we don't let the numbers define the experiments we do. Yeah, it's so true. And there really isn't always a, a cause and effect. And keeping that in mind and keeping it fun you know, it keeps you fresh and it keeps you trying new things. If you're always focused on the numbers, you might not get there. So, well, Elliot, where can we keep up with you and where can we buy the book online? It's on sale now. So where it can is. we find so, it? Yeah. So actually, I think everybody will be listening here on December 4th. So it came out yesterday. <laughs> um, so we're, we're yeah. right in the midst of it and it's going to be really fun. Um, you can find the book in any major distributor. Um, most people obviously use Amazon and it's very easy to find there. It's Uncommon Stock Power Play is the sequel. And then the first book, if you haven't started the series yet, is Uncommon Stock Version 1.0. Um, they're both on there and they're linked, of course. You can find me. The easiest way to find me is uh, elliotpepper.com. That's E-L-I-O-T-P-E-P-E-R.com. Um, that's my blog. And you can find everything about the books and stuff there. And uh, if you want to stay in touch on new releases and stuff, I have a mailing list called my inner circle. And I give them sort of all the fun advanced copies and, and sort of like inside secrets on book production and the story and all that kind of stuff. So those are probably the best places to find me. Awesome. And we will link all of that in the show notes too. Um, so if you can't find anything, go to the site and we'll have a link for it just so you don't miss it. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a, a real pleasure. And one last thing is the book version 1.0 is free on Amazon today and tomorrow. So if you go on there, you can just download it right away. So check it out. But one, after Friday, it'll be back to its regular price. All right, cool. Yeah, it's definitely worth reading. I am reading it with my dad right now. It is that good. Cool. Well, thanks again, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Elliot. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you enjoyed it, we have tons of other awesome episodes on our website. Check them out, rocketship.fm. 
And while you're there, make sure you sign up for our newsletter, where twice monthly we send out actionable advice for entrepreneurs and exclusive links to AMAs with our guests. That's rocketship.fm. Sign up today.